Well, good morning. I want you to know that there hasn't really been a word, a quote, a line from a song that we that will not play into what we're going to talk about today. It's kind of cool to see how God weaves it. But I had a moment while the piano was playing during our offering time, which was beautiful. I don't know where the dude went, but uh, but small group story. When I was back in Ohio, um, kind of a father, he was a ex-pastor, you know, old, retired. He said, you know, my son is just kind of struggling a little bit. Like, would you, you know, I heard you're going to, you're getting some groups going in Jamestown. Would you? Anyway, so I said, no problem. So, and I liked his son. We played some golf together. And so anyway, I invite Troy into a small group. And I just watched God kind of do this amazing work in Troy's life and his family's life over the next year. And Troy was a phenomenal pianist, never took a lesson. Just God just gave him this incredible gift. He finds himself on our worship team. Right, This guy who's anti-church is now playing in our worship team. And so he would play during every offering time, just like that, quiet piano music, because <clears throat> the organ had to play during communion, obviously. So he got the offering time. And I'm sitting there, kind of just praying, and I'm like, I look up at him, and he's just smiling from ear to ear. He was just slowing down Jimmy Buffett tunes to just kind of like stick it to the church, I guess, in his own way. And so, anyway... So, but that was very much a church song. So like we were good, but I just remember like that, that moment. Um, trivia question, trivia question. What is the largest organism on the planet? Shout it out. If you think you've got an answer, what? Oh, uh, no, not a birch tree. What? Algae? No. Michigan fungus. Maybe. No. no, the largest organism on the planet are aspen. Boy Scout, come on, Eagle Scout. Oh, is it? I don't even know. I'm like ridiculing you. Not the birch, aspen tree. Aspen um, have this amazing root network that from a single seedling, this tree that emerges spreads its roots out and all of these stems begin shooting up off of that one tree that that then spreads itself out more, that spreads itself out more to this vast forest all connected to a single point. Some other things to know about aspen, the trees can live anywhere from 40 to 150 years, but the root system can live for thousands of years. Um, Within aspen, um, they need a lot of sun, to help them grow, especially the young maturing trees need to soak in the sun to help them grow in strength. And the inner bark of an aspen tree has healing properties, pain relieving properties that pharmaceutical companies have mass produced in the form of, do you know the pill? Aspirin. Very good. Very good. The idea of this interconnectedness, this idea of kind of this greatness of the community of the aspen family Led me to think about our own life together. What is it? What kind of form do we take when we gather together? How are we joined together? What does our root system look like? How does it support all of these different pieces? How does it support the whole of the Christchurch forest? What is the strength and power we have as a church of us that outstrips something even as amazing as Aspen? My hope this morning when you leave here is that you will have a deeper sense of who we are 
And you will have maybe a, a challenged perspective of how we are to live life together. And specifically two things. I hope that if you are not connected to a smaller circle, to a group of some kind, of a ministry team serving somewhere with others. You know, a small group here is kind of a gathering anywhere from 3 to 12, 15. We don't put a hard and fast line on it, but it's just a group of people that come together on a regular basis to love one another, to engage God's Word, to pray with each other, to serve together, to live out this Christian life together. But we do that in so many ways, men, women, couples, single, um, mixed, young, old, you know, service teams, ministry teams. We do it in a lot of ways, but at the core in those smaller communities, God does something there. And if you are connected to one of those, I hope you're challenged to reimagine what that even means and the mission and call that we have together. I want to share a little story from Jesus's community, his small group, um, because Jesus announces some pretty hard things. Jesus is changing his small group, and they don't react too well to it. The context is John 13, Jesus, they've just had the last supper. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. At the supper, Jesus creates this awkward moment. Somebody's going to betray me. Judas dips. He's excused. He leaves. And then Jesus says these words um, to um, his group, his disciples. And so why don't we stand? Because I want to read a, 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 a portion of John 13 and 14 to us as we just encounter God's word. And verse 33, chapter 13, Jesus says, My children, which is common language for a teacher or rabbi. It's kind of an endearing term to his students or to his followers. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. But just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. But a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Then Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Really, Peter? Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter's commitment is about to be tested to the group in the mission. Then Jesus goes on, chapter 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be intimidated by what I'm telling you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas cues right in. Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, whenever Jesus says that, it's like, listen up. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, 
keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees them, sees him or nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of directions we could go with this sermon. There's a lot of stuff contained in there, especially in a portion as big as we just read. But I wanna, want us to focus in. I want us to look at what is it like, what does it mean to be a community connected to Jesus? Because that's what we are, after all. In John 17, Jesus prays. Um, it goes not just for them, meaning his disciples, his group, but all that will follow after them. God, may they be one. So Jesus has us in mind even in these words. So I want to look at what is it like to be a community connected to Jesus. And I see at least four things, at least in this text. The first one is that any group, any community, any team, anyone you're serving with that's connected to Jesus, things are always going to be changing. Things do not remain the same. God is in the business of transformation, period, right? And so when we gather together in these smaller circles, whatever form they take, we can expect that things are going to change. But we don't often do change well, especially in communities that we're connected to that maybe are meaningful, that are, are meeting a need perhaps in our life. And we see the disciples pushing back. Well, where are you going? Why can't I go? I want to come. Like, you know, you're not going to change this on us so to speak. Jesus is like, no, it's going to change. Your role's going to change. Your, even your mission, what you're about, is going to change. But they try to fight and protect it, and we do the same thing. I've been in groups that I've tried to hold on to because I don't want them to change, and I've also tried to lead groups to change where um, I remember one Thanksgiving dinner, we had this small group, and I just decided we were having a big meal together, and I said, hey, come January, we're going to start four small groups off of our one group. And thankfully, the turkey was juicy because they had butter knives. If they had steak knives, they may have like taken me out in that moment. They were like, there is no way you're monkeying with my community. But we tend to want to, th those are our intentions when we are trying to hold on to it instead of maybe opening us ourselves up to a bigger picture story of what God is wanting to do in and through us. The second thing is that followers of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, the gospel is going to be the center of our group, of our community. And here's what I mean. The gospel, as we know, is the good news, right? Scripture tells us that. It's the life of Jesus. It's the rule. It's the kingdom of God breaking into our world, into our lives, reshaping us, making us new so that we can go out and be God's A plan in this world. Jesus said, repent, change your direction, receive the good news of the kingdom of God, which is essentially me. When we use language like receive Jesus, I believe in Jesus, receive him as my Lord, we are saying the gospel is coming into the core. It's becoming the root of my life. Or as our student ministry says, it's putting Jesus at the center of our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he is with you and lives in you. The reality is that we are a Jesus-indwelled, spirit-infused community, people, and that reality should permeate every aspect of our life, especially our lives together. 
And there is nothing else, nothing else on this planet as awesome or as great as God's people because God lives in us, even greater than the aspen trees. Third, community is at the heart of what it means to be the church. We've been using that word a lot. But I want you to look at our Christ Church mission statement because you'll see Jesus' words all over it. A mission is kind of every day, day after day, this is what we are about. Our vision can change, but our mission stays core to who we are. Our mission as a church is gathering in what? Communities of right, followers of Jesus who worship, grow, and serve. That live out this Christian life. We believe that we want to gather in these smaller circles to live it out. Right? And then we come together. It's a collection of all of our smaller circles that infuses the larger community with strength and in a different way. All for why? Going into the world as witnesses of the life-changing love of Jesus. A witness bears testimony to what has been true. And oftentimes it's caught as much as it's told. We are to do the works of the kingdom. Right? That is our mission. This is what Jesus is rallying his small group around. And love and sacrifice towards the commands of Jesus, this is our operating system. This is what should be driving us every single day. And what are the commands of Jesus? You know them. Love. God. Good. Confident. Don't guess. You got it. God. Right? And love. Others. Good. Like that's straight out of the Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm going to sum up. All of these books that you don't read, I'm going to sum them up in two commands. Love God, love others, right? And I'm going to kind of refresh it, reboot the system for you with that. But then when he comes back after his resurrection, we're living on the other side of the resurrection. He comes to his disciples, his followers, and says, and I'm giving you one more. Go and make what? Disciples. Make more followers, more stems shooting up, expanding the forest, right? And I will be with you always. Jesus is looping back like the disciples would have been putting it together. Love God, love others, go and make disciples. That is what a community and love is all about. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We see this in Acts 2. So the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Why? Because it was how the community the smaller group of followers were living out their life together wherever they were planted. And that kind of leads us into the fourth. We kind of said it. But first, we, we got to realize that when we're connected to God, things are going to change, right? That Christ, the gospel, is at the center of who we are. And that how we live it out is love and obeying God's commands. And all of this, what we find is we find ourselves in a mission and something so much bigger than ourselves, so much bigger even than in our smaller groups, so much bigger than our even worship life. We are connected to the mission of God. It's interesting, in all these verses, Jesus is not so much talking to individuals as he's talking to his group, his disciples. Right? He says, you, group, will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who believes in me will do the works of that I've been doing. In fact, they will even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father is glorified in the Son. And you may ask anything in my name and I will do it. Our life together, when we are connected um, in community 
with the gospel at the center, right? The mission is to do the works of God. No matter what kind of group we are connected to. No matter what kind of group. We are to do the works of God. Our purpose is to do the kingdoms, Jesus' work on earth. We're not holy huddles, right, that are connected for our own benefit. You know, I need a community for me, right? We want to help connect you, but I want to say we want, it's you for the community, right, that you've got something to give. And in the process, you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed, but it's always us partnering with God's mission in this world, every kind of group that we have. And because of our mission, because God is so serious about this, about loving this world, sending his son to die, he says, I'm going to give you the X factor. I'm going to put my spirit within you. That's how serious he is about this. Do you, do you get the sense, the magnitude of just how significant we are when we live life together in smaller communities that then gather into this, these larger communities and our various worship services, the whole collection then of Christ Church and the collection of other churches? Do you see the power of this forest connected to this single seedling, Christ at the center, that has this mission to expand and grow? When I was a kid, G.I. Joe was a big deal. Maybe it still is, but it was way cooler back then with the action figures and the cartoons and that stuff. They always had this tagline. They said, knowing is half the... See? You notice how many guys said that, right? They are keyed in. Knowing is half the battle. So I feel like in some ways we know this, right? We know this from being connected. We've seen the church's mission statement. We know that, you know, Jesus is calling us to... Um, put him at the center, to live in community with each other, to be about a mission bigger than ourselves. We know that. The question is, how are we doing at living this out? Well, I want to give you a snapshot because in some ways we're doing well. Here's real life stories from what's going on in the community life at our church. There's a group of guys that now meet on Thursday mornings super early. They're calling themselves the Band of Brothers. This came out of men's fraternity, which was a larger men's group we have. We did a shorter study afterwards with a smaller group of guys um, that I kind of led them through. And then I was kind of like, all right, time to take a break. You know, I'm like, I'm out. They're like, we're not done. I said, we are like, like, what do you mean? And And this is what they said. They said, where else in life do you find space where you can be real, where God is in it, and where the power of the group can inspire you to live God's ways? They said, church services don't do this. Corporate networks don't do this. God changes us when we are together. We need a band of brothers to call us towards God's intentions for us so that we can live them out. Right? This was just two weeks ago. And I'm stepping back thinking, man, this is gospel and community and mission all finding itself coming together and what God is doing in the lives of these men. I had breakfast this past week with another guy. And uh, he said, he said, Eric, he goes, I need guys in my life, church guys, because when I'm connected to them, I live my life differently. He said, when I'm not connected to these guys, my small group, he goes, my life is a train wreck. He goes, I lose my way. He goes, but when I'm with them, I'm a better husband, brother, son, father. He goes, I'm a better person, period, when I'm connected. And I can echo those words. I've experienced that myself no matter the kind of group I've been connected to, when I'm invested there and people are investing in me and we're all doing it for God's glory, I leave changed. I leave changed. There was a question extended to a single mom here that just said, how are you doing in your faith? 
and a simple invitation was given to come to one of our women's groups. And little did I know that this mom found healing and encouraged to work through some very major issues going on in her family life. And she now not just is revived, but she is thriving in her faith. An elderly woman, last story, has no transportation. She takes the bus to her small group. But instead of seeing this as a challenge or as an irritation, she's turned it into a witness to the bus driver and to the people she regularly sees on that bus. And she would say her small group gave her a bigger vision for the people that God has placed in her life. These are our stories. This is the power of us when, it be, when it's lived out together. But like the disciples, we have the other side too, where sometimes we don't quite knock it out of the park, where we may fall a little short uh, of God's intentions. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, the, really, the only thing that limits God's power, the power of us, is us. Think about it. If we are not connecting to these smaller circles, we are kind of removing ourselves or we're, we're a, not a part of a vital piece of what God wants to do in our life and how he transforms us and how he works in this world when we are not connecting. One quote says, contrary to Western evangelicalism's obsession with the individual personal growth, we could even just say kind of the American church, you know, and we use a lot of personal growth language here. Right? So I'm like even thinking about this. They said, contrary to that, they said discipleship, following Jesus, is and always has been a group project. Another way that maybe we limit this is when our existing connections, when we are connected somewhere, when we begin holding it on maybe a little too tight, when we kind of start moving away from those four key elements of not allowing things to move and breathe and change and grow, or when we... Uh, don't have Jesus at the center, or when we're not really loving each other well, which sometimes we don't, or when we're we're not about something bigger than us, we're just all about ourselves, we lose our focus a little bit, I think we limit our witness and what God wants to do in this world. You know, research by Lifeway Publishing House, they produce things like Men's Fraternity, Beth Moore, how many Beth Moore ladies do we have here? The crazy cult of Beth Moore, ladies. It's funny. It's good, right? And they produced, they got many, many great resources. They did a, they did a, a research project because they were searching for what, lead, what helps make a transformational church and what are transformational groups look like and how do lives, what does it look like when lives are transforming? And their research came back with eight kind of key characteristics of what it looks like when someone is maturing as a follower of Jesus. And these were the eight things they saw over and over again. One, there was Bible engagement. People were reading their Bibles. They were obeying God and denying self. They were serving God and others. They were sharing Christ with others. They were exercising their faith, meaning they were taking faith risks, you know, testing, do they, you know, do I really trust God? They were seeking God. They were building relationships. And finally, there was a level of transparency that was different than those who maybe weren't growing or were stalled out in their faith. And then they found that people who were involved in groups, a variety of kind of partnership, partners for the journey, as we would say, whatever kind of small group, people who were connected beyond the worship service exponentially, exponentially exhibited these characteristics over those who only attended weekend services or watched on live stream. Exponentially exhibited these 
things. And what they concluded, I've got the book over there. They said, those who attend groups act and think differently from those who do not. Well, why? Because I think that's how Jesus designed us. He made us for a community. He was in, he, I mean, he's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like God is in community. We're created in that image. So we are wired to live with one another in these smaller communities. And then when we pull them together, I mean, it just becomes that much more wonderful. Um, there is power in us, friends. And I think the world and maybe even our church, maybe even you are waiting to see the power of us released. There was um, a movie, We Are Marshall. Has anyone seen We Are Marshall? I mean, it rocks. I just watched it like two weeks ago. Um, It's a story of the 1970 Marshall University football team that was tragically killed in a plane crash, taking out, killing almost the whole football team, coaching staff, boosters, trainers, all gone. And the next year, they had a choice. Do we put a team on the field or do we just kind of shut down the program for a little while or forever? Well, they decided to put a team on the field with a bunch of young athletes, right? Much younger than anyone else they were playing because they were all freshmen or maybe sophomores who weren't good enough or old enough to travel with the, with the other team yet. And so they feel that team and there was a sense of hope building until they got to their first game and they were crushed kind of in the spirit of like what happened with Negley's little boy. Neglified, is that what you said? Anyway, 7-0. Anyway, they got beat worse than seven to nothing. And after that, like hope started to disappear, that the town was struggling. There was all kinds of dissension now in the school and administration, and the team was starting to come apart. They didn't know what to do. And then the head coach, before on game day, that next Saturday, takes the team to the memorial for the Marshall football team up on the hillside, Huntington, West Virginia. I've been there. You look out over the hills. You know, they got this great monument you know, behind them, and there's six graves, and it's kind of shaped like this stage, six graves of the six bodies that they could identify who they were as a testimony to this team, to their memory. And the coach has all his new team standing out where you guys are, and he's standing by the monument, and he's calling the guys to look and to remember that this is our team, that these are the guys who went before you, but that same heartbeat that pulled them together, beats in us as well. And as he looked back, he called his team to look within, right, to realize what is at the center of who they are. And then he kind of moved them forward with a fresh vision by having them look at each other. And they began to realize who they were, right? They were martial. And they began to rally because they knew that if they pulled together, they could not be defeated, and the coach said, whatever the scoreboard said, the scoreboard may not agree with us, but if we come together, because the team they were playing was way better than, than what they were, so whatever the scoreboard said, at the end of that game, we cannot be defeated. And then he has this great line. He goes, if you will lay it on the line until that final whistle blows, we cannot lose. And then he said, we are. And the young thundering herd shouted back, Marshall, right? We are, say it with me, Marshall, come on. We are Marshall, right? I want to owe you. I don't even like that. But anyway, if I said it one more time, you'd have to all start shaking your fists and rally to the middle of the room. We're not going to quite do that. But, uh, but you get the picture. 
as you remember aspen trees, as you remember Jesus' group in John 13 and 14, as, as, as we, if you remember the reality that God resides in us, that we are a community to be characterized by love and obeying Jesus' commands, knowing that we have a mission better than, our, than, our, than ourselves, perhaps feeling that nudge of even the Spirit moving you, either towards connection or to even rethink what it means to be connected, where you're connected now. I want you to hear one other passage of Scripture as we close. And this is from Peter, interestingly enough. who was one of those guys pushing against Jesus who probably didn't want his community to change and was a little too bold in his words. He failed. But that same guy, this is what he writes now. He says, as you come to him, in other words, as you remember the past, as you remember what has been done for you, the living stone, who now lives in you, who lives in us, the church that he's speaking to, this gathering of people. He says, as you come to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He says, you, you, we, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession to declare his praise, his glory for what he has done and what he is doing. The kingdom calling people out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, that is making disciples, growing them up, expanding the forest. He says, once you were not a people, but now we are a people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you get it? Do you hear it? We are the people of God. We're not, as a church, a bunch of consumers who need a product fix once a week or a couple times a month. We are the church called to experience church in community in smaller circles of so many different kinds, but at its core, rallied around Christ at the center, loving one another, obeying his commands with a mission, with a purpose so much bigger than ourselves. The only thing that can stop us is us. Not living connected to God, not living loving one another, not being a part of that mission, but at our best, at our best, we are. We are the church of the living God. We are a spirit-infused community. We are God's plan to redeem this world. We are. We are. And if we will lay it on the line, if we will dare to move towards community and live in community in that way, if we will lay it on the line until that final whistle blows, we cannot lose. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you that... uh, that one, you gathered us here, but two, that your spirit is in us collectively. That when your people come together with you at the center, God, you do extraordinary things. And God, we are so much broader and stronger and more amazing than even aspen trees. God, I pray that this community and all churches would flourish as we are about your mission to make more disciples and invite more and more and more people into that circle so that they may grow up and spread 
their own stems out, and we just see your kingdom grow. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And as people said, amen.